0: This is Philip Schoenfeld, Editor-in-Chief of Evidence-Based GI, and today I'm speaking with Shriya Kumar, Assistant Professor of Medicine at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine, about her recent summary entitled, Low-Grade Dysplasia in Barrett's Esophagus, Critically Important but Not Easily Identified. And this is part of our In Case You Missed It series, where we summarize seminal research studies from the past five years that still impact our standard practice today. So specifically, Dr. Kumar's summary is reviewing discordance among pathologists in the United States and Europe in the diagnosis of low-grade dysplasia for patients with Barrett's esophagus, which was published in Gastroenterology in 2017. So Welcome, Dr. Kumar, and and, you know, why is this such an important topic about making an accurate pathologic diagnosis of low-grade dysplasia in Barrett's patients?
1: Thank you for having me. This is a really important topic, and pathologic diagnosis is really the cornerstone of our management in Barrett's esophagus. It decides how we counsel patients and what management options we offer them, in particular surveillance or endoscopic eradication therapy. Endoscopic therapies for Barrett's with dysplasia are mainstay of Barrett's esophagus treatment, but it's important to note that's only in the setting of dysplasia. So before we offer patients multiple endoscopies for ablation or endoscopic mucosal resection with their associated costs and risks of the procedures, accurate diagnosis of dysplasia is essential. Knowing the degree of dysplasia is also important in counseling patients and that means is it high-grade dysplasia or low-grade dysplasia. There are new ACG guidelines on management of Barrett's esophagus, and there is a strong recommendation to utilize endoscopic eradication therapy in patients with high-grade dysplasia, but only a conditional recommendation in patients with low-grade dysplasia. So really knowing the degree of dysplasia helps us counsel patients and partake in shared decision-making. I think that's really the crucial thing to emphasize, that If a
0: patient has high-grade dysplasia, there's a strong likelihood they may have concurrent esophageal adenocarcinoma or that it will progress with esophageal adenocarcinoma. So those patients should go to endoscopic eradication therapy with resection of any visible nodules with radiofrequency ablation usually. But if it's low-grade dysplasia, the available data is more diverse in showing that sometimes it seems like people go back to having no dysplasia versus variable rates of progressing to high-grade dysplasia. And and I guess that's really a question because when expert pathologists look at the slides, what one pathologist considers low-grade dysplasia, another pathologist considers to be non-dysplastic. And that may account for this variability and and thus some difficulty in making a definitive recommendation to patients. So how did the authors investigate this issue about whether expert GI pathologists can agree when they're looking at Barrett's esophagus mucosa?
1: They did a few few things in this study. First, they used three U.S.-based expert pathologists to discuss the diagnostic criteria for low-grade dysplasia. In particular, they wanted to distinguish inflammation-predominant low-grade dysplasia versus dysplasia-predominant low-grade dysplasia. Second, they had seven experienced pathologists, four that were from the U.S., three from Europe, that reviewed pathology slides of patients with Barrett's esophagus, And the pathologist selected whether the slides represented non-dysplastic Barrett's, low-grade dysplasia-predominant Barrett's, low-grade inflammation-predominant Barrett's, or high-grade dysplasia. The slides were randomly selected from two centers in Kansas City and Cleveland, and they included, of course, non-dysplastic Barrett's, low-grade dysplasia, high-grade dysplasia. The slides were processed by standard protocols and really tried to reflect similar to to standard clinical care. That being said, the pathologists were aware they were participating in a research study. And in addition to their diagnosis, they were asked whether they had high confidence in their diagnosis. Well,
0: part of that study design reflects one of the conundrums of managing patients with low-grade dysplasia, which is, is the pathologic diagnosis being impacted by inflammation due to acid reflux into the esophagus. And as we'll talk about a little bit later, whether or not patients should, you know, go on double doses of their PPI and have repeat biopsies to try to eliminate the impact of inflammation from acid reflux on the pathologic diagnosis. So what were the study results? And maybe you can speak just a little bit more to this issue about how the study was designed to separate out the inflammatory versus non-inflammatory low-grade dysplasia.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the study really tried to look at inter-observer agreement as a primary outcome, and they reported their findings using the Kappa statistic, which is essentially a numerical scale that signifies how robust agreement was and overall the kappa value was moderate it was 0.43 so moderate agreement when and when they looked at the slides by level of dysplasia it was low-grade dysplasia that had the lowest level of agreement so while low-grade dysplasia only had slight agreement a kappa statistic of 0.11 non-dysplastic barrett's was a little bit better 0.22 which is fair agreement and high-grade dysplasia was a little bit better, 0. 0.43, which is moderate agreement. And even when there was high confidence in diagnosis, it improved the interobserver agreement somewhat, only moderately. But it's really important to note that this was most pronounced in European pathologists. So when European pathologists had high confidence in their diagnoses, there was higher inter-observer agreement compared to the U.S. pathologists. And this held up across the dis- degrees of dysplasia as well.
0: I think that's such a crucial thing to emphasize here. Even among expert GI pathologists looking at the same slides that they frequently disagreed about whether or not the pathologic findings were consistent with low-grade dysplasia. For the high-grade dysplasia diagnosis, the agreement was reasonably good, especially if you get high confidence in the diagnosis also expressed but that relative low level of agreement among expert gi pathologists correlates with it being reasonable for many patients to say you know maybe i just want to do surveillance endoscopy as opposed to going straight to endoscopic eradication therapy once it gets diagnosed what are some of the limitations of this study design
1: there are a few limitations here so As I said, prior to having the pathologist even review the slides, a few expert pathologists determined the criteria for low-grade dysplasia, and they tried to parse out inflammation predominant versus dysplasia predominant. And while, as we've just said, inflammatory changes can really muddle the diagnosis of low-grade dysplasia, it's not standard clinical practice to subdivide low-grade dysplasia in this manner, and pathologists only had the option to select one subtype. So this may have led to a decrease in the inter-observer agreement, more so than would be normally seen in clinical practice. The slides that were selected also might have introduced some bias, and there was a high representation of high-grade dysplasia in the slides, above 40%. In routine clinical practice, non-dysplastic Barrett's is the most common finding. And then lastly, the pathologists were all experienced pathologists who were aware that they were participating in a research study. And so while this reduces the generalizability a little bit, you could argue with such low interobserver agreement, even among expert and experienced pathologists, the interobserver agreement may be even lower when you think about pathologists who are not at high volume Barrett centers.
0: Yeah, there are two important things there. The, the first is, as you said... That by emphasizing the differentiation of inflammation at, between inflammation predominant low grade dysplasia and dysplasia predominant low grade dysplasia, that that creates a little bit of an artificial difference um, that's not consistent with what happens in everyday practice. On the other hand, these were expert GI pathologists at high volume centers and. For many of our listeners, they may not have as easy access to expert GI pathologists. And I think that's very important when we talk about what you should do in your own practice if you biopsy a patient with Barrett's and you get a report back of low-grade dysplasia. So so what do you do in your own practice when you're biopsying somebody for Barrett's esophagus and and it comes back showing low-grade dysplasia.
1: Yeah. So you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to be at a um, academic medical center where we do have expert GI pathologists, and the, the standard practice is to confirm diagnosis by at least one expert GI pathologist, if not two. And you really want to ensure that that diagnosis that diagnosis is not in the setting of active inflammation. So if there are inflammatory changes, I would not necessarily Act on that low grade dysplasia diagnosis at the moment. I would ensure that they were on a proton pump inhibitor or potentially even increase the proton pump inhibitor, even if the patient isn't feeling symptomatic reflux. After about three to six months of ensured proton pump inhibitor therapy, I would do a repeat endoscopy. At this repeat endoscopy, I'm looking in particular for other lesions that could be high-level lesions. I'm looking with high definition white light, maybe chromoendoscopy. I use a fitted cap. I take my time, make sure I have good inspection. If there are any visible res- lesions, I tell patients beforehand, I would resect those at that time. And then I use the Seattle biopsy protocol to biopsy the Barrett segment to minimize sampling error for other dysplasia.
0: I think, You know, a key point there is using PPIs and high dosages to minimize inflammation associated low-grade dysplasia. You know, obviously patients with Barrett's esophagus may complain of fewer acid reflux symptoms because they've developed Barrett's esophagus. And even if a patient is on a daily PPI dose, it may be appropriate to double their dose and repeat your biopsies in three months to see if low-grade dysplasia is still present. On the other hand, if I've got two GI pathologists that just say with very high confidence, look, this is low-grade dysplasia, um, this is not being impacted by inflammation from acid reflux, That confidence is also helpful when I uh, outline options to the patient. And and I guess that's where the rubber meets the road here. You know, if you double the dose of PPI and you re-biopsy and you get a diagnosis of low-grade dysplasia confirmed by two pathologists, then how do you tend to to counsel patients about their options?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, I think a lot of it depends on the patient. What are their comorbidities? What are their expectations? And what, what are their sort of competing risks in this scenario? How much emphasis do they place on having repeated endoscopies on avoiding the risk of cancer in the future? And it's, it's really a conversation. And I, I try to be honest with them and say, listen, studies are, are still forthcoming um, for low-grade dysplasia. Some studies say your risk of progression to cancer is less than 1%. Other studies note them as high as 10% or even higher. So it's really sort of a, a conversation with the patient. And you know from, from our side, I think just trying to be honest about the limitations of, of our current knowledge uh, is, is really key. But if a patient has good functional status, good health status, and is interested in endoscopic eradication therapies, after discussing the risks and benefits, I do offer it to them.
0: Well, I think in conclusion, the two couple of key points here is just recognize that there is a lot of inner observer disagreement about the diagnosis of low grade dysplasia. Make sure you get this reviewed by at least one, if not two, GI expert pathologists. Consider upping the dose of PPI and and rebiopsying in three months to minimize the chance that dysplastic changes are due to acid reflux inflammation. And then if you do confirm that diagnosis, recognize that it's not clear cut that everybody should go to endoscopic eradication therapy, that it may be reasonable to uh, just continue to do surveillance every six months to one year um, with that diagnosis.
1: Any other thoughts in particular? Or no, have we
0: covered I, most of it?
1: I think that's well said. I think, you know, this is certainly a, a team-based approach here and keeping open dialogue with the GI pathologist that you do work with um, and realizing this is, this is a a dynamic niche and and we're hoping for more clarity in, in the
0: future. Great. Well, thanks so much for talking with us today. And thanks to our listeners for joining us.